You are listening to the Catholic Thinkers Podcast, a free treasury of instruction in the Catholic intellectual tradition. If you enjoy this lecture, please visit us at catholicthinkers.org forward slash donate. This is Father James Scholl. I wish to present a short essay called Roman Catholic Political Philosophy. It's an essay that first appeared in the New Oxford Review in September of 2010. I also have a book by the same title, which is published by Lexington Books. The essay begins with two quotations. One from the political philosopher Leo Strauss, which reads, Man transcends the city only by pursuing true happiness, not by pursuing happiness, however understood. The end of the quote. The second is from Cardinal Ratzinger. Quote, man qua man remains the same in primitive conditions as in technologically developed societies and does not advance to a higher level simply because by the fact that he has learned to employ more highly developed tools. Human nature starts over from the beginning in every human being. And therefore, there cannot be such a thing as a definitively new, advanced, and smoothly running society. Not only was this the hope of the grand ideologies of the last two centuries, but it has been, has been becoming more and more the general objective expected by all ever since hope in the hereafter was demolished. A definitively well-run society would presuppose the end of freedom, the end of the quote. The Catholic Church has never considered politics to be salvific. Active interest in political uh, reality is, comes late in Christian history. Indeed, for the first centuries of her existence, the Church, has, its main uh, problem or preoccupation was the surviving in a hostile political setting. Participation in politics is also a late uh, interest. Popular sovereignty and voting uh, are in the order of importance uh, almost of yesterday afternoon. Christianity first appeared in the Roman Empire, which was an all-inclusive social and political system, though it Periodically, and though it periodically persecuted Christians, it often thought they were atheists. As in Acts 4, where John and Peter told the authorities that they would continue to preach even if forbidden, early Christians had to take some stance on how, to, how they would deal with political order 
a political order that had some um, has uh, own uh, diverse gods, laws, and ways of life. It is not strange that the early Christian writers saw something providential in pagan Rome, a polity within which the Savior was born. After all, Caesar Augustus's decree that the whole world should be enrolled was the occasion of Mary and Joseph's presence in Bethlehem, where Christ was born. With its ideas of common brotherhood, language, and laws, Rome was technically open to everyone. It had a universalist um, outlook that Christianity would later build upon. The popes, like the Roman emperors before them, speak or be at Orbe, to the city and to the world. Quote, Christians are indistinguishable from other men, either by nationality, language, or customs, the famous second century epistle to Diognetus tells us, continues. They do not inhabit separate cities of their own or speak a strange dialect or follow some outlandish way of life. And yet there is something extraordinary about their lives. They live in their own countries as though they were only passing through. <clears throat> they play their full role as citizens but labor under all of the disabilities of aliens. Any country can be their home, but for them, their homeland, wherever it is, is a foreign country, the end of the quote. Early Christians did not find much of interest in Roman politics. The hope, they hoped mainly to be left alone to lead quiet lives, in which, in whatever city they found themselves. While the Romans were the most worldly and political peoples, the Christian homeland was not there. Men live in cities, not in a state of nature. Cities accommodate themselves to the ways of men and the ways they live, to the ways they define their purpose. The polity in its organization and constitution, written or customary, recalls the souls of the, it reflects the souls of the citizens. Ancient cities defined their gods, religion, and their religion as civil, set up by the laws of the polity, as Cicero tells us. <clears throat> Some religions, on the other hand, claim to explicate the political structure of cities. Roman Catholicism is not a religion that professes uh, to set up a polity in its name. <clears throat> its knowledge of, of a polity arises from reason and experience. It does not hold that politics is the highest science, 
But following Aristotle, it recognizes that politics, uh, that politics in, inhabits a certain area or it deals with a certain area of reality that is subject to human reason and guidance. The configuration of any actual political order is a product of reason and experience of a freedom in setting, uh, setting the order, settling the order, selecting the order of one's life and constitution. Does politics absorb religion or does religion absorb uh, and consume politics? Does an intellectual point of contact between them suggest that what one lacks, the other supplies? Though they are different, they are both necessary, but we want politics to be politics and revelation to be revelation. Only when their limits are mutually understood and respected can we reasonably expect that they can uh, coexist with one another in harmony. Is there a more theoretical understanding in which politics and revelation cohere while each remains distinctly what it is? This implied coherence explains my juxtaposing Roman Catholic and political philosophy. We distinguish in order to unite in a more complete whole. The whole includes both. Neither can be what it is until each understands itself and the other. When this actively happens, how each addresses the other becomes much clearer and more intelligible. Though it contains famous references to politics, <clears throat> such as render to Caesar the things that are Caesar and to God the things that are gone, and be obedient to the emperor, the New Testament is not a book of politics. Politics, for its part, is what Aristotle called a practical science. Politics arises from the exigencies of men actually living together in a state in a stable legal order. In this order, they freely seek to be what they are. They seek to display what they make themselves out to be by their own actions and words. They work this end out in reason and controversy about what man is, what constitutes human virtue. They cannot logically ignore either source, reason, or revelation of information about uh, what they are. <clears throat> Politics, as Aristotle said, is the highest of the practical sciences, which themselves are uh, concerned with man's happiness and with his virtues that lead to it. And yet, as Strauss said, following Aristotle, man transcends the polity only by pursuing true happiness. The happiness achievable by in this world is good, but it is secondary 
to man's final end. Man is by nature more than merely human, as both Aristotle and Aquinas teach us. We cannot, of course, be ourselves as we were intended to be if we restrict ourselves to concerns over our present life alone. Our present life is a real life, one during which we decide what we will ultimately be. <clears throat> the pursuit of ill-defined happinesses is also a part of life of the life of members of actual cities, in which are found both virtues and vices, both true truth and error about what man is. Perfect happiness cannot be found in any actual city in this life. Neither Aristotle nor Catholicism is utopian in that sense. While affirming a higher end for each person, we can be moderate about what to expect in this life. This moderation is a great freedom. It protects us, first of all, from definitions of man that promise perfection in this life by our own powers, a protection, a perfection that we cannot achieve in this life. Behind almost all modern political thought lies the counterclaim to be able to solve man's highest purposes through politics alone. In this sense, modern politics claims to be a metaphysics uh, that def can define what man's uh, existence is really about. <clears throat> the fact that the New Testament is not a treatise on politics suggests that politics is expected to explain itself by its own intellectual and moral roots. Catholicism has no problem with this principle. Politics has its own place in the order of things, its own justification for what it is. Its aim is a common good within which all other goods, including religion and transcendent goods can be um, in which they can flourish. The city exists so that potential um, so that the potential found in man's being can come to actuality, can flourish. But the city is also a place where what is disordered also exists. This is why Turmoil will always be found in actual cities. Political philosophy arose out of the trials and public executions of both Socrates and Christ. Why were just and good men killed in relatively good existing cities? From this experience arose the great platonic question, is there a city in which the philosopher or the prophet would not be killed? If so, 
what would it look like? Efforts to describe this best city, as Strauss famously said, are the closest that politics comes to metaphysics. But the fact that man transcends politics means that the city of God, to use Augustine's praise, is not a product of human making, though it includes and welcomes actual human beings who have lived in the cities of this world. Aristotle observes that if man were the highest being, politics would be the highest science. But if man is not the highest being, he will need to be open to metaphysics, to philosophy, to explain himself uh, the relationship of his normal life in the city to the transcendent life. Philosophies, however, were often seen by ordinary politicians to be, uh, to be dangerous uh, for existing cities. Their ideas not infrequently threatened <clears throat> the peace and order of actual cities. As Socrates was unjustly killed because his pursuit of truth was not understood, politicians have often regarded philosophy as more dangerous to the city than tyrants and corrupt politicians. What then is the place of philosophy and revelation within the city? Is the city the final judge of philosophy? Did not the executions by the state of Socrates and Christ indicate that intellectually and morally disordered cities are dangerous to truth. Indeed, the most dangerous of tyrants were those who wanted to impose their ideas on all existing cities, who um, fancied themselves to be both politicians and philosophers. The connection between freedom and truth implies that truth in is politically powerfully a uh, politically powerful only when it freely is when it is freely understood chosen and accepted the tradition of natural law with in political philosophy ought to distinguish between good and bad regimes between the basis of good polity and the nature of disordered polity. How does one pass from bad regimes to good regimes or vice versa? There is a law of reason, as Cicero famously said, that judges every actual regime, be it in Athens, Rome, or Carthage. Christ's admonition to go forth and to teach all nations implies both that revelation is addressed to every city and that every city is, in its diversity, uh, in its diversity, every city possesses something of value. The world was not to be made into one regime, 
was to made to know that one basic truth as its foundation did exist. What is the point of contact between political philosophy and Roman Catholicism? Political philosophy leaves unanswered questions that are fundamental to the proper understanding of human life, so it doesn't answer all questions. Roman Catholicism, on the other hand, which conceives itself to be a revelation about salvation, uh, addressed to reason, to Logos, is directed to these ultimate questions. So, the reason in faith is directed to the reason in reason, if I can put it that way. Yes, <clears throat> yet, man is politically a political animal, but he is not merely political. Augustine remarked that revelation was not needed to understand what the basic virtues are. They were known uh, to the ancient and, and explained by the pagan philosophers. The burden, the problem was to how to live these, a virtuous life, not in knowing what virtue was. Could men accomplish this by their own powers? The wonder was the well, the wonder was the issue, as Aquinas also said, to which revealed, um, to which revelation addresses itself in its uh, admonition that not only are we not to murder, but we are not even to think or plan to do so. The command to order both our internal and external lives is found in Revelation. It is the only possible remedy to the inadequacies of civil laws, which can only look to our external actions, but not to our heart where all of the action begins. The conclusion is not that political philosophy is directly open to Revelation but that it is incomplete in its own order. Revelation proposes solutions to those unanswered questions in such a fashion that it is at least one coherent answer from among many possible alternatives. We are thus left free to accept or reject it. Political philosophy, of course, cannot be, in principle, a closed system. Revelation, at least, poses intelligible responses to perplexing, uh, to perplexities that naturally arise in political philosophy. The revelational argument to us is finally suasive. Neither uh, political philosophy nor divine revelation completes the whole without the other in a free relationship. Cardinal Ratzinger pointed out that human nature 
begins anew in each birth of a particular human being. This unique birth earns means that a new freedom is placed in the world with each human being. No technology, no constitutional order can be passed can be passed on except through the intelligence and freedom of each person who is at liberty to accept or reject what is handed on to him. This freedom is what guarantees the impossibility of a guaranteed happy world throughout, uh, brought, about by, brought about automatically by some system of politics, economics, or medicine. In the end, Roman Catholic political philosophy enables politics to be politics and revelation to be revelation. If thus it thus contributes, it thus confronts the whole of what is to be what it is to be human with the two sources of information we have about us, uh, about what we are, the information contained in reason and that contained in revelation, seen not in opposition, but as coherent and united whole towards each other. We hope you enjoyed listening to Catholic Thinkers. Please visit us at catholicthinkers.org forward slash donate to help us keep this content free.